Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. We're at the start of a new year. We all get a fresh start with a clean slate just waiting to write our story. And how exciting is it that your 2023 story includes this moment? God has something for you today. He's ready to meet you wherever you are on your journey. Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to take center stage in your story as he births something new in you. And I, for one, can't wait to see what he's up to in your life. Well, and my life for that matter. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. People grow here because God uses the people on our team to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you. Regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day. And each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today and tomorrow and the next day. Slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, Let's join our service. What you just read was a personal story written by Norwegian adventurer Thor Heyerdahl in his book, The Kentucky Expedition by Raft Across the South Seas. He and his five crewmates bravely sailed in a hand-built raft from South America to Polynesia with a mission to prove that ancient civilizations could make a long the long treks across the seas to populate isolated islands far off the coast. As you saw, the expedition hit a snag during their voyage that sent them and their raft spiraling out of control with only one thought to cling to. Just hold on, hold on. Unfortunately, the, the boat broke apart as it crashed into a jagged reef near shore. And the story continued as Heyerdahl was tossed and turned by the waves and the current. He wrote, I determined that if I was to die, I would die in this position like a knot on the stay. The sea thundered on over and past. And as it roared by, it revealed a hideous sight. The vessel we knew from weeks and months at sea was no more. In a few seconds, our pleasant world had become a shattered wreck. While the battle for the vessel had ended, the battle for his life began. He continued to hold on to his life. I think hold on isn't just a wise phrase during a crisis at sea, but is also applicable in our daily Christian lives. The state of our world today isn't too far from this word picture that Heyerdahl paints for us. One minute, the expedition of our lives can be flourishing 
but only takes one mistake, one tragedy, or one pandemic to fling our souls into disarray, to make us feel like the world is stuck on a spin cycle of confusion and misdirection. And perhaps you felt this way at least one time or another in the past few years. Some crisis or some event has sent you into a tailspin and you've been hard-pressed to recover. You felt your grip start to slip and you're not sure if you can hang on for much longer. So how do we regain our grip and hold on in these difficult times? Friends, we must stay resilient. And so welcome to our last message in our series, Resilience, Strength That Prevails. For the past five weeks, we have been exploring the ideas that John Eldridge lays out in his book, Resilient. And if you found this series impactful in any way, or this is your first time with us this morning, I highly recommend going back and watching or listening to this series from the start. It's been a deep and rich experience, at least for me, and I'd hate for any of us to walk away today and miss the message that God may have for you. Now, just to play a little catch-up so far, we have looked at what we need to be resilient against, but today our focus is how to be resilient. And to understand how to live in turbulent times, we need to fully understand what time period we are living in. And the Bible makes it crystal clear uh, that we are living in what, as what Jesus refers to as the end times. We've actually been living in these end times for the past 2,000 years. They started when Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit was given. We have been longing and waiting for the, his return ever since. And we know this because of what Jesus said during his time here. And we can read all about it in the Bible Near the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 25, Jesus is very, very clearly talking about the future. In fact, that's what my, the heading in my NLT Bible says above chapter 24. The future Jesus was speaking about is actually our present day today. He said, sometimes I feel like it's hard to imagine that we're living in the future. But on September 23rd, 1962, the first episode of the animated cartoon, The Jetsons, aired on TV. Right? The show portrayed the life of a normal family surrounded by a gadget-filled lifestyle, including flying cars and robotic maids. Do you know, do you know what year this hyper-futuristic show was set in? It was 2064. So now, here in 2023, just 41 years removed from that imagined future, and we're nowhere near that level of technology, but we are living in the future. So the future is now, and Jesus has something to say about how we can stay resilient here and now. So if you would, please turn with me in your futuristic Bible on your phone or your archaic paper Bible to Matthew 25 verse 1 with me, please. You see, where we find Jesus, he's in teaching mode, as he often was, on the Mount of Olives, introducing his disciples about the future. And after Jesus had rebuked the Pharisees, the disciples were a little concerned about what Jesus had just said. They asked the question, when is all of this going to happen? Well, Jesus then proceeds to talk about the future, which is our 
current reality. Matthew 25, 1 through 8 says, Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please, could you give us some of your oil? Because our lamps are, are going out. Something interesting to note here is that Jesus doesn't completely explain the meaning of this parable. There is considerable debate on many facets of this story, but there's one thing that is plain. This parable is about Jesus' return to earth. You see, we can understand that some are going to be prepared for his return, those with oil in their lamps, and some will have been lazy and unprepared with no oil. Now, in the scriptures, oil is often associated with the Holy Spirit. And as we know, we are meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We desire to be filled with the presence of God. And since this parable is about the times that we're currently living in, a simple explanation that John Eldridge provides may bring some clarity today. See, the five bridesmaids who didn't have enough oil to burn have simply run out of God's presence in their lives. They didn't take care to be intentionally filled with God, and eventually they kind of just burnt out, not ready for the return of our king today. They They couldn't hold on when times got tough. You see, it's been said that a failure to plan is a plan to fail. You see, this right here that we read is a plan for failure. Friends, we are living in the hour of the ten bridesmaids, and we need to hold on, for we do not know when Jesus will return. But believe the words of the apostles. He's coming back soon. We need a plan. We need resilience. And this should be a sobering reminder of how we are to be resilient here in 2023. Now, these words that Jesus spoke weren't Jesus' final words about the end times that we're living in. He actually taught about it a lot, which is helpful for us who are living in these times. You see, this is our hour. And what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17 is vital to our resilience. If you turn with Luke 17, 28 through 32 with me, it says, And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you let your life go, you will save it. The world will be as it was in the days of Lot. You see, if you're new to to the faith or reading the scriptures, and you may not know this particular story, 
But if I mention the setting of this story, your ears just might perk up. You see, Jesus' reference to Lot starts in a capital city called Sodom, which is a neighboring city to Gomorrah. These two cities were filled to the brim with sin. There is no acknowledgement of God anywhere and everything and everything was permissible. The good and mostly the bad. It was truly a dark and sinister place. You see, our sinful condition without God's grace and mercy leads humanity to some very dark and dangerous places. For example, right outside of the city of Sodom, there's a place called the Hammam Megalithic Field. You see, this place actually puts Stonehenge to shame as far as how many rocks and megalith, you know, creations are there. And it was the site for some very shady pagan rituals. This sin could not stand. See, God was intent on destroying the cities because of their total and complete depravity. You see, I believe that there is a basic moral code that God places into each one of us. You see, I've noticed that there are laws all across the world from various cultures and lifestyles that humans all agree upon. For, for example, an instance, we find that murder is a crime most everywhere. And today in this room, I believe we could all come to that same conclusion, even without God's word. At least, I hope so. You see, <laughs> these cities were not like that. They had given up on all morality. And God made the decision for these cities to be destroyed because God is a God of justice. But luckily for Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, Uncle Abe had negotiated with God that if there was at least 10 righteous people in the city that God would spare it. That sounds reasonable enough. And to start his investigation, God sends two, city, two angels to evaluate the city. And all they found were people who had completely given in to the lusts of their flesh. And the angels then find Lot and help evacuate him and his family so they would not be destroyed in the fires to come. You see, the story of what happens to Sodom is a sobering reminder that there is always consequences to sin. This destruction event is used frequently in other books of the Bible as a warning. It becomes a motif of what sin means, death. These two angels then give instruction to this ragtag family living in such a horrible place. They said to run and don't look back. You don't want to be here. So imagine with me that you are Lot. Along with your wife and two daughters, you're running for your lives to a small town on the horizon. And you feel the heat of the fire on the back of your neck as meteors crash to the ground behind you. The sound is deafening. Your mind is swirling as you run and you run and you continue to run. And the sun begins to rise in front of you as smoke fills your nostrils. You're coughing, choking, eyes burning in the air. And you instinctively just duck your head and press forward. And suddenly, in the middle of the rush, something feels off. Something's missing. And as awareness washes over you, you lift your head and just sadness envelops you. There she stands, your beloved, perfectly still and white as a statue. Genesis says, but Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. Okay, 
Jesus, wow. This is how you choose to wrap up your teaching about the future? Why was this woman turned to salt in the first place? You see, the writer of Genesis actually makes it quite clear. The Hebrew word translated as look back is nabat. Everyone say nabat. Great. While the surface understanding of this word is to look back, if you look a little deeper, you'll see that it means uh, she didn't just take a peek back at the leveling of the city. She desired to go back. She is heartbroken as her home is destroyed. She felt like everything she ever knew was lost and she longed to go back to what was, to the, to the past. You see, this is Jesus' point. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. After the various changes our world has been through in the last few years and the continual change we experience, there is no going back to what was. The future is our only option. Even if we bury our heads in the sand and pretend everything is the same. You see, I have sobering news for you, if that's you this morning. Those who lost their lives to illness, they're never coming back. Those who moved away aren't coming back. Times have changed and it feels like a loss. It feels like there's a, there's a lot of loss. So much that it can be hard to see any positives. And the truth is any time change happens, even if it's a good change, there is loss involved somewhere. Something is given up, which can be really difficult. The past is easy, it's known, it's so much more comfortable. At least I know what happened. But the future, however, is so uncertain, it's harder to imagine and trust in what will happen. See, we face a choice. See, sometimes that choice presents itself in an incredibly obvious way, and sometimes that choice is just a little less clear. So what are we gonna do? Are we gonna press in and move forward? Or are we going to look back? You see, I agree with a statement John Eldridge writes in, this, in his book. He says, this has to be one of the most cryptic, sobering, and unnerving things Jesus ever said, ever. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Jesus is making it explicit that there is a war going on between good and evil, that our enemy, Satan, is hell-bent on trapping the human heart through any means necessary. We have arrived at the future that Jesus was talking about, and this is a dark place. It has been ever since sin entered into the picture. While we live in a fairly prosperous time in history compared to the past, the darkness has grown as well. Slavery, slavery worldwide is at an all-time high. We live right next to a major artery of the sex trafficking world, which is I-5. But we get, we get used to it. Just like Sodom mixed in with all the bad, the earth is filled with all sorts of good stuff too. Commerce, the arts, technology, medicine, and agriculture. While the darkness is there, we can easily cover it up in our minds with these other things. It can be appealing to forget the bad and only focus on the good of the world. But that isn't Jesus' way. Remember Lot's wife. The fight going on right now is for the allegiance of our hearts. 
You see, there is nothing more that Satan, the enemy, wants than to wear down your resilience, to run you into the ground with zero margin for God. Author and theologian John Mark Comer wrote in his book, In the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Both sin and busyness have roughly the same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, even to your own soul. See, in a way, I believe that Lot's wife was trauma-bonded to Sodom, to the world, to sin, that she was so worn down in Sodom that what they offered was actually accepted as a relief. She had accepted the world's ways of living and had become confused that as, confused that as being more beneficial than God's own ways. She looked back at the pain and desired that more than the deliverance God was providing for her and her family. See, the battle for her heart had been won over by something that provided no actual relief at all. And she suffered the same fate as the bridesmaids who had no oil when it actually mattered. So there's this time, I remember when I was in a worship class at my university talking about humanity. You see, for some reason, I had, I had it in my head that to be totally human means that, we have to be to that we're totally living in our flesh if we're totally human. Somewhere, somehow, my mind had flipped the truth of Genesis that to be totally human was to actually be the original design for man back in Genesis 1. That to be totally human was to have an Eden heart. In fact, we all have Eden hearts. What I mean by that is that our desire is for Eden. That the Garden of Eden is where we are designed to live. That our deepest desires are all manifested from this reality. And we desire to have a deep, meaningful relationship with our Creator. When we desire that dream vacation to travel to an incredibly beautiful destination, that's a signature of God on our Eden hearts. When we desire to hear the finest music or experience the depth of flavor from food cooked by a Michelin star chef, that is our desire for Eden. These are all good things imprinted on us by God. We, have, we all have a heart for beauty, intimacy, and adventure. And in this hour of preparing for the return of Jesus, the hour of the bridesmaids and Lot's wife, we need to keep our Eden hearts full of God's presence so that we are ready and we're waiting. That we can stay resilient to whatever, wherever our Eden hearts go. So today, I want us to roll up our sleeves and let's get practical, right? What's your plan? We've looked at the state of the world. So how are you going to keep your Eden's heart allegiance to the king rather than to the world? Because if you don't have a plan, then nothing's going to change. You will go away from this church service, hop back on your social feed on your phone, and just away you go, right? Let me tell you, that is not God's best for your life. So let me help you identify at least two places where you can implement a resiliency plan into your life. All right, so the first one, it's hard because I know the response I'm going to get. You need to build margin. But John, 
You don't know my life. I have two kids. I have a sick mother-in-law. I have a demanding job and three cats at home. Listen, I never said this was going to be easy. Making a plan requires a lot of work. Otherwise, everyone else would be doing it. You see, here's what I picture. I picture a gambling addict just sitting in front of a slot machine as they repeatedly feed it quarter after quarter and then come out with nothing on the other side. See, the world is the slot machine, and the quarters are our personal time and resources. We just eventually have to walk away from the addiction to busyness. While another vacation, oh, that would be nice, God has a plan in place already involving a weekly vacation, something we call Sabbath rest. It doesn't matter how or when you observe it, but he modeled it all the way back in Genesis as a way to live. See, if God kept a Sabbath rest, so should we. Why? Because it's built in margin. Start to defend that and protect that with your life. You see, my Sundays are jam-packed with ministry often. I, I preach or play on the worship team in the morning and then lead our high school groups in the evening. And then I take my Sabbath rest on Mondays. I intentionally do things that fill my tank. I go out, I explore, or do something life-giving. I take a long nap in the afternoon. It's great. I highly recommend it. You see, if you still don't think that you could create margin, then maybe you can't, but God can. So start to pray for it. You see, I believe that Jesus can create a margin in anyone's life. So that's step one. Step two is play. You see, being a youth pastor definitely has its perks, right? Twice every week, I get to play some sort of really fun game. One with our middle school students on Wednesdays and one with our high school students on Sundays. And, right, the games range from all sorts of classics like dodgeball to kind of mind games involving trivia. This form of play is always just a great rejuvenating time for me. And it helps our, our group bond together and helps new students maybe feel a little less awkward. But it also inspires a lot of laughter. You see, studies have shown that laughing is linked to our physical, emotional, and mental well-being, even to our relationships. It signals to a group of people that everything is okay and we can relax. See, I believe that play is a way of keeping perspective and helping us lighten up. It helps our reserves with just good memories and gets us moving and active, whether it's mental or physical. Whatever your plan is, let's make it a daily thing, right? Passivity, it won't work here. And we get a great example from Daniel. In Daniel 6.10, we read, When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Right? There's, there's a key phrase in this verse. I kind of gave it away, right? Just as he had always done. Daniel had an established plan, a, a routine, a habit of connecting with God three times a day, every day. It was a non-negotiable part of his practice. It wasn't just a once, once a week kind of thing. You see, Daniel's plan was an ongoing, deeply rooted rhythm. So are you going to leave this series unchanged and 
go back to mindlessly scrolling through social media to recharge instead of being filled with God's oil, his presence? You see, right there, there's, there's a dilemma to face when implementing these two things into your life, to margin and play. The fundamental thought process that we have gotten all sorts of wrong. So we, so desperately, we want to fit God into our lives. We want to read scripture. We want to pray, but so often it just never works out. Sure, you'll squeeze some time in here and there, but there perhaps is no consistency for God to fill you. Maybe you listen to a quick podcast on the way to work in the morning and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. Until you don't for three weeks and you feel guilty and the cycle repeats itself. It's, it's hard. So many Christians just get lost in this. Many think that knowledge is going to deepen their relationship with God or that hardcore study of hermeneutics will finally help them relate to God. But this is the problem. Why do we think that the almighty God of the universe should be confined to fit our schedule. That's totally backwards. We should be the ones fitting our lives into his, amen? This line of thinking shows that for some, we have been manipulated, we've been coerced into thinking that we are more important than he is. Do we think that we are busy people, important people, and that we're way too important for God? You see, there's a great scene in the movie Evan Almighty that kind of illustrates this. God, portrayed by Morgan Freeman, has tasked a modern-day politician named Evan to build another ark like Noah. Evan, of course, thinks this is ridiculous. And this is what he says. I love this. He says, God, you have to understand this whole building an ark thing is really not part of my plans here. I need to settle into my house. I need to make a good impression at work. And God just laughs and laughs. He's like, your plans? <laughs> and I agree with that, right? God knows that this is a ridiculous way to live because God's plans are way bigger and better than anything we got going on. I mean, we want to fit God into our lives, but should be the, should be the other way around. And this means that we must shift our thinking and work on centering our lives on God like those wise bridesmaids. And you start with God. You start with resilience. And then you build your schedule and your life around God, placing him at the center, the most important part of your life. And this means it's probably time for some spring cleaning. There will be things that you're going to have to ditch, things that might already be aligned with what science and other things are telling us, right? You keep picking on social media, but social media in its current form and usage is just horrible for us. It's proven. And even that sitting around watching TV for long periods of time won't be healthy for our bodies. So what's the rhythm of your life that allows you to develop and deepen your reserves and receive that resilience of God? Jesus said that he is the way the truth, and the life. And the apostles took this literally, and what we now call Christianity was called literally the way. See, there is a way to live, and it brings heaven to earth. So develop some practices to build resilience 
We covered quite a few of these practices and how to implement them in our series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which you can conveniently watch on YouTube or Facebook. If you just want some quick ideas, there, I'll give you a few. I have this wonderful prayer book that has a daily morning and evening prayer. They feature prayers from church fathers and famous preachers, and it's a great way to start my day. So while, hear me right here, I'm not perfect at keeping my own practices, I highly recommend a morning and evening prayer. You see, John Eldridge knows that this is difficult, which is why he and his team developed a stellar app called the One Minute Pause. We've talked about this before. It's designed to help you start on the journey of developing your daily practices by leading you through prayer in a slow and reflective manner. And as part of the app, you will have access to a program called 30 Days to Resilience. So I invite and I challenge you to go through this 30-day habit and see if that sticks. And what we call this kind of plan, this resiliency plan, has been known as a rule of life. And if you want a resource on that, I would highly recommend John Mark Comer's book, which I mentioned earlier, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's life-changing. But the truth is, your plan is your prescription. If you won't align your plan with God's plan, then you have been de you've been deceived by the world to think that its ways are the right ways. But they aren't. If you, if you have become a believer, then you can't, can't look back. What's your plan? The foolish bridesmaids didn't have a plan. Don't be like them. Instead, hold on. So let's re return to the story of Thor and his expedition. Three months at sea, tumbling under floods of water, survival, hold on. And eventually it was all worth it. Eventually Thor and his team escaped the reef and under the weight and straining against the sea, their bodies heavy and tired, they wash up. And here's their experience. They said, we stretched out ourselves luxuriously on the ground and smiled up at the white trade winds, clouds drifting by westward above the palm tops. Now we no longer followed them helplessly. Now we lay on a fixed, motionless island in Polynesia. And it was as we lay and stretched ourselves, the breakers outside us rumbled like a train to and fro, to and fro, all along the horizon. Our travel mate was right. This was heaven. This season hasn't been the first turbulent season the world has ever seen, and it likely won't be the last. This side of heaven, we will all continue to experience seasons of great reward and great suffering. So as we wait and eagerly anticipate Jesus' return, we must stand strong in this battle for our very hearts. Otherwise, we will turn back to a way that only leads to destruction. Remember Lot's wife. We battle because it's worth it. The explorers of the Contiki expedition pressed on, enduring, not because it was easy, but because it was worth it. Friends, Eden is worth it. Heaven awaits us as we endure and build our resilience to the ways of this world. And the beautiful thing about this message that we bring is that rescue is coming. 
You see, so often a negative message would discourage, discourage us to not press on. But friends, rescue is coming. Jesus is coming back. And that's the truth. So our resilience isn't just about us. See, if we stay resilient, we can help lead our friends, our coworkers, our family, and many others to discover this amazing hope. If they hear that message over and over, then maybe the truth will break through and create a new Eden heart in them. And if you personally haven't found your way in this world to Jesus, let me invite you to experience him today. You may be tired from the fight, or you may be, you think that you're just doing fine, you're doing just fine, but your Eden heart has been distracted from the God who created you, and he desperately wants you back. He loves you so much, and he's prepared a place for you. So take a look at your life. How's it been going, really? Are you truly satisfied by this world, or just maybe could you imagine that there's something more that there's a rescue plan that could involve you. All you have to do is accept it. See, the Apostle John, in his composition at the end of our Bible called The Revelation, is shown what heaven looks like. And he paints this beautiful picture of fruit, vegetables, fine gems and metals, and the tree of life and the river of life. Friends, we get Eden back. How cool is that? The destination is Eden. In Hebrews 10.39, it says this, But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So keep heart. Stay engaged. It's all worth it. Hold on and don't look back. Just as we've been doing the last four weeks, we're going to just take a few minutes to slow down and pray together. And I encourage you to pull out the message notes and read along as I pray a prayer. You see, I grew up with this idea that written prayers aren't actually authentic. That because they were written down, you know, a ways away, they weren't really, they don't really count. It's pretty tragic in my opinion. So I invite you to relax as you read along with me. Just take some deep breaths on your own. Relax your shoulders and, and just breathe. See, when we do this, the world seems to slow way down, which isn't actually true, but our minds perceive everything in a more intentional way. Perhaps you felt that the future is rushing at you. They just can't help but feel overwhelmed by the decisions at work and the stress at home. Let me invite you this morning to see that the future can actually be slowed. The life is simply ticking by, second by second, minute by minute, right now. It's the same pace as it's always been, designed by God since the beginning of time. So as I, as I pray, just embrace a mindset of surrender. Surrendering these moments, the next hour, tomorrow and weeks and months to come to our loving Father who has the best in mind for our lives. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I give my Eden heart to you, Lord, and you alone. I'm so filled with longing, Lord, for things to be good again. I just want things to be beautiful. I want people to love one another. 
I want turmoil to cease and evil to stop. Jesus, catch my Eden heart. I put my hope in the restoration of Eden when you return. I give my heart to you and look forward in confidence to your return. You are the only safe place. You are the only one who satisfies my Eden heart. I treasure you above all things. I now ask for the strength that prevails, the strength to escape the madness of this world, the supernatural strength that rises up from Jesus Christ who dwells within me. I ask for strength in my mental life, strength in my heart, strength of my emotions, strength of will. God, I choose you. I choose single-heartedness. Empower me to be wholly devoted, fully aligned with you. I give my Eden heart to you, Jesus. I turn my face from the distractions of this world and place my hope and my attention on you. Fill me with supernatural resilience for this hour. It's in your mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.